1: Thank <laughs> you. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. After more than a year of being cooped up due to pandemic restrictions, lots of people are itching to hit the open road and get the heck out of Dodge. If that's you, my guests have some great tips for planning and executing an awesome road trip. Their names are Jeremy and Stephanie Puglisi, and they're the proprietors of RV Atlas blog and podcast. The authors of several books on camping and road tripping, and veteran road trippers themselves having, together with their three boys, spent over a thousand nights at hundreds of campgrounds from coast to coast. We start off our conversation with how the Pug Lisa's began road tripping with a pop-up camper and the benefits of driving to places rather than flying to them. We then get into how to dip your toes into RVing without a big commitment and whether there's an ideal age to start taking RV trips with your kids. From there, we get into best practices for planning and executing a road trip, whether you're going by your RV or car, including the biggest mistakes people make, the art of road trip snacks, and when it's better to fly versus drive. We also talk about how to keep kids entertained on the road, including how to handle the issue of screen time. And we enter a conversation with the benefits of staying at campsites rather than hotels, why you might want to look into private KOA campgrounds, and why planning a great road trip always starts with picking a great destination. After the show's over, check out our show notes at aom.is slash trip. All right, Jeremy and Stephanie Puglisi, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having us, Brad. It's great to be here. Oh,
2: thanks so much.
1: So you all are RVers. And not only that, you help people get into RVing with books and you have a podcast. And you've the book that I read and I really enjoyed is called See You at the Campground, a Guide to Discovering, Community, Connection, and a Happier Family in the Great Outdoors. It's about road tripping, about RVing, but also camping instead of staying at a hotel. So what I'd like to do with this podcast is it's the start of the summer vacation season and a lot of people are planning vacations. A lot of people might be interested in RVing. We're going to talk about that, but also just want to talk about road trips in general. I know a lot of people I've talked to this summer instead of getting in a plane to get where they're going, they're going to take a road trip. So maybe we get some advice from the experts. So let's start off with this. How did you two get into RVing? Like what was, what's your story there?
2: Well, we actually started as road trippers. So <laughs> it's nice that you just intro us like that, because really we, before we had kids, we just loved road trips. Um, We've, we started dating when we were pretty young.
0: <laughs> we, went to, we, we did a road trip to Jazz Fest in New Orleans when we Stephanie were teenagers. O, were teenagers. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and uh, we kind of took off and headed to New Orleans and explored that. And we just, traveled that way all the time over years of marriage before we had kids we loved hopping in a car and driving somewhere and just kind of like seeing the landscape pass outside the window you know it's like slow travel to me as opposed to just getting from point a to b you know you stop and enjoy the ride right it's a cliche but i think it's true And when kids came along, the road trip got a little bit more challenging in some ways when they were babies. So we
0: wanted to we really wanted to get out on the road with them. We had twins. And when they were about by the time they were 10 months old, we were really cooped up, really needed to get out of the house. So we decided to do like a hotel weekend at a hotel with a water park attached. And it was a complete disaster. You know, we put the kids to bed, realized that we had nothing to do. We had nowhere to go. That trip did not go well. So then when we got home, we started throwing around the idea of a pop-up camper because we wanted to hit the road with the boys. And soon after, bought the pop-up camper and really, really fell in love with the whole RV lifestyle.
2: I think more than camping, we saw the pop-up camper as sort of this little portable hotel on wheels and you know, it was affordable too. It's not expensive to get a little pop up camper. So for us, it was like, okay, we were celebrating our 10th anniversary. We had twins. That was the gift that we gave ourselves to be able to sort of keep road tripping and keep having adventures, even though we had these little Babies along with us. And funny enough, along the way, we ended up falling in love with camping. <laughs> and we really discovered the joys of the campground and sort of introducing our boys to the camping lifestyle. And that was the inspiration for the See you at the Campground book.
1: When did you all upgrade to the RV, like the full on? Like, what kind of RV do you guys have? And when did you upgrade to that? So we're on like RV four or five right now. <laughs> After the pop up, most RV
0: owners upgrade every three years statistically. So after the pop-up camper, we kind of got sick of setting it up and breaking it down because we were traveling quite a lot and doing multiple stop trips. And a pop-up camper is not really the best thing for that because there's a lot of setup and breakdown. So I'd say two years after we bought a conventional travel trailer, and then after that, a toy hauler, and now we're sitting in more of an upscale travel trailer. I want a motorhome. We constantly (laughs) debate getting a motorhome. (laughs) Stephanie's not quite as excited by that idea. But uh, yeah, we've been in traditional RVs now for six years, seven years. And how often are you on the road now
1: these days?
2: Well, obviously, the last year hasn't been a great, you know, year for RVing for us. So we did take some trips. But typically, prior to that, we probably traveled between 50 and 100 nights a year in the RV, just depending on the year. Yeah,
0: we I mean, for a lot of RVers, this past year was an amazing year. I mean, a lot of people really did hit the road. But for us, we have kids in school, and we're in New Jersey, where some of the travel restrictions were a bit tighter. So we probably canceled more trips than we went on this past year, but now we're we're kind of getting back in full swing for the year ahead.
1: All right. So Stephanie, you mentioned one of the reasons you're a big proponent of road trips. It's like that slow travel. I mean, what are, what do you think, but besides that, what are the benefits of road tripping versus flying? What have, what have you all found?
2: You know, repeatedly, I have two of my boys are now in middle school. So we've been doing this for over a decade with them and they've spent a lot of time in the back of the car (laughs) in their childhood. And it was so funny over the years teacher after teacher just kept saying like your boys are just have such a wide breadth like of understanding of the country like they'll just they have such a you know expanse of like weird knowledge was pretty much what well, they, they were saying states
0: and their blue states, yeah
2: so. and and too like it was really funny over the years i have no idea how this came about but somehow they got really interested in real estate like as we were traveling because they realized so many places look different than where we are at the jersey shore and they would ask like what does that house sell for? What, you know, what do houses cost here? So we ended up with this funny game of like opening up the Zillow app, no matter where we were in the country and the kids got fascinated with how much the cost of living is different. So, I mean, I know that's a really random example, but I just think that over the years of them staring out the window in the back seat, they just have seen the country in a way that you don't see it when you're up there thousands of feet in the air.
0: We go to South Carolina a lot. If we had just been flying in and out of Myrtle Beach, Our kids would not know a lot about South Carolina, but since we're road tripping to Myrtle Beach or Charleston or wherever it might be, like our 12 year old boys could explain the culture of South Carolina in a pretty sophisticated way. And And
2: like the whole Route 95 corridor. And they're like, you know, they know what it looks like going into Richmond and they know those stops along the way. I think road tripping... Just this past month or two two months ago, you know, we were heading from point A to point B, and Savannah was along the way, and we weren't planning on stopping. And I looked at Jeremy, I said, "Let's stop." And my boys just got this wonderful two hours in Savannah, and we ate at this. Ridiculously good hot dog truck. And I know my kids well enough to know now that five years from now, they'll mention that hot dog truck. Yes, yeah, there's
0: <laughs> nothing wrong with a, a plane ride. I mean, we take planes, but th- <laughs> you don't have that serendipity, right? I mean, that spontaneous stop. You can't do that on a, a plane or a cruise. And, and we do that a lot in the RV. You know, all right, let's pull over here and just grab lunch in this town and, and check it out for an hour or two. And those are very rich experiences as well, even though they weren't planned.
1: I also like road trips because it, it feels more relaxing. Like I like I I don't like flying. I like I've decided I do not like flying. It's my least favorite thing. It's just it's so undignified. You have to stand in line.
2: <laughs> getting you're, herded, yeah, yeah. <laughs> getting
1: herded. And then you know, you get on the plane, you're kind of stuffed in there. And I just I, I when I'm on a road trip, I also like the feeling of road trip, like you feel like you're in control. Like I hate being like, well, my flight, my flight's delayed. I can't do anything about that. With a road trip, it's like, well, not a problem. You know, I can, I can keep going.
2: And I think that that was one of the reasons it's been such a pleasure for us to travel this way with our kids was, you know, the the joy of having those decisions at your fingertips every minute, you get a lot less stressed, right? You can always take a time out with your kids and say, let's just relax. Let's just stop at the side of the road at a rest stop and kick a soccer ball around, you know, and and just having those choices with us, even bringing along their things that help them feel a little more comfortable, right, has been a real blessing. Well, and
0: in our bay, one of the things that we preach about a lot is you can pull over in a rest area and make lunch in your own kitchen you can use your own bathroom like we don't have to use the restrooms on the new york freeway if we don't if we don't want to so you use the word control and i think that's a a great way to put it it's this interesting combination of freedom and control that makes the experience pretty pretty awesome for us
1: i also like the, the feeling on a road trip that you're like no one knows where i'm at i also like for some reason i like that like when i'm in the middle of new mexico I'm like, no one knows where I'm at. For some reason, it just feels so good to to have that feeling.
0: Well, and this is like the year of the road trip to some degree. I mean, I I think that COVID has has made us all re-examine how we travel. And you're not the only one feeling that way right now. I mean, I'm, I'm dying to get back out on the road this summer.
1: Well, let's talk about a little bit about RVing. Cause I know a lot of people, they like the idea of RVing. They probably saw something on Instagram. Someone's doing the van life thing or whatever. And they're like, I want to do that, but they don't, they're afraid to make that leap. Then they're not, they don't know if they're actually going to like it, right? They like the idea, but they don't know if they're going to like it. So any advice for people who want to test the waters with RVing?
2: I think that it is so smart to rent instead of buying an RV straight out. 10 years ago, that wasn't as easy as it is now. Now there's all of these RV sharing, you know, platforms, which are basically like the Airbnbs of RVing. And you can easily find a nice small motorhome, which is what I suggest that you, you start with when you're looking for a rental. And you can just try it out and see if it's for you. Now the price tag is a little shocking for some people. Sometimes people think, Oh, a, rental RV vacation is going to be cheaper maybe than a fly-in drive or a hotel stay. That's not necessarily the case. Remember, you're paying for convenience, right? You're going to be driving your little hotel room around. You get to park it wherever you want. You get to have food in your kitchen and your own bathroom along the way. So actually, you're paying for a lot of those conveniences. And it ends up, we've found over the years, we spend about as much on a rental RV vacation as we would on a fly and hotel stay. But if vacation. you're testing
0: out the concept of buying an RV, yes, it might be expensive to rent a motorhome for the weekend. But if you spend six hundred dollars renting a motorhome for the weekend and then decide you don't want to buy one, you know you just saved a hundred thousand dollars. Or if you rent it and you say, "Well, I love it." I feel more confident going ahead and buying it. It is really, truly a great way to just kind of get a taste of it and see if you want to make a a bigger financial plunge.
2: I would caution people that it's not the whole experience, right? Like when you rent an RV, people have a blast doing it. And people that have done an RV rental usually say like their kids remembered it forever. You know, it was such an amazing adventure. But you have to remember there is a steep learning curve with RVs, so you're not really getting the whole experience of having your own personal RV stocked with all of your stuff, and you know the comfort level of that. It is going to be a little more stressful because you don't know how to empty the tanks like we do as RV owners, so you're going to have to figure that out.
1: Oh, uh, so can we stop for like a quick pause and a, a side sort of side tour like nomenclature so you've been guys saying rv motorhomes pop like what are what they're all rvs all they're all rvs okay and what a pop-up camper is an rv a travel trailer
0: is an rv a motorhome is an rv
2: a pop-up camper that we own first they're all rvs and then there's two main types of rvs there's a motorhome which is the kind you drive and there's a towable which is the kind you pull behind a tow vehicle And for a rental, a motorhome is so much easier because it really feels like you're driving a U-Haul truck. It really does. It's not a big deal. I was just behind the wheel of one this past weekend and I hadn't been behind the wheel of a motorhome in over a year and it was fine. A towable, I think there's a steeper learning curve on. Hitching up, unhitching.
0: Like in the popular conception, in the popular mind, like an RV is a motorhome, but actually 90% of RVs sold are towable. And only 10% are motorhomes, but it's motorhomes that sort of, that's what everybody thinks
1: of. Gotcha. Is a pop-up camper a towable? Yes. Yes, yep. it is. Yep. And
2: it's this little nice small box and then it opens up <laughs> and you get the tent ends and that really nice, beautiful, like very dreamy kind of open tent experience.
1: So you recommend for people who are wanting to test the waters, don't go. maybe don't go the towable pop-up camper, just check out a motorhome
0: well that, i think that depends like if you're thinking about buying a pop-up camper why not rent a pop-up camper if you're right, thinking okay. about buying a home, why not rent a motorhome i guess it just depends on what your intention is if you just want a vacation i think is what stephanie said yeah. yeah take the motorhome i
2: would say take the find your under 30 foot class c motorhome and that's going to be the easiest thing to kind of get around in for your first time
1: Okay, so a lot of people who are doing the rv they want to do it but they're They've got little kids and they're concerned, ah, oh, my kid's going to like this. What's been your experience? I mean, should people be concerned about that? Or is there you know an age you recommend you start taking your kids in an RV or can you go right when they're fresh out of the womb, basically?
2: Well, we did go. They were pretty fresh out of the womb. <laughs> <laughs> one of them was like, three, what? Three our third older. was six weeks old, I think, the first time we took him camping. And, and he's lived his whole life, you know, at the campground. But I, I do think that w- w- one piece of feedback we hear a lot, right? Like our kids have been doing this their whole life. But the one piece of feedback that we hear is that people who start older with their kids wish they had started younger, right? Like when you wait to get to that middle school age, is anything cool in middle school, right? Do middle schoolers actually enjoy anything? Or, you know, they've kind of gotten that too cool for school air about them. We've heard that from a lot of parents that when they raised their kids with this experience, it was something that they looked forward to every year. And
0: conversely, we've heard from people, well, I don't want to buy an RV. My kids are are too young. They're not going to remember it. I want to wait till they're older. And Stephanie and I have really never believed that. Like, we think there's incredible value in traveling with your kids, even if they are at an age where they won't technically remember it. Because we've always felt like you're you're training them to be travelers. You're training them to be road trippers. You're training them to be flexible. So we always tell people, start as young as you can possibly start. I mean, a sleeping baby can keep you... A a baby that can't sleep is going to keep you awake at home or in the RV. So you might as well be somewhere beautiful and exciting.
2: I'll also say that we didn't fly because we had our camper and our RVing trips. We didn't fly with our boys until they were, I think, seven and four or somewhere in that age range. And by the time we did fly with them they knew how to travel. Like they were such great travelers that our first airport experience was just like seamless. Like they were fine. They knew how to be team players, right? Because we've taught them to break down a campsite or set up a campsite or carry, you know, luggage around. They had no problems. And I was like, I really had felt like it was the perfect kind of segue into different kinds of travel with them.
0: Our kids know how to be in new environments and to thrive in new environments and we really feel like travels contributed to that like they're they're not afraid to go out for this team or to step into this new environment or to go meet this new friend and We think that part of that is all the traveling over the years.
2: Well, we also kind of trained them to have a little more independence at the campground too, right? Like we would be at these campgrounds and it would be kind of like a pretty safe place to be able to teach them how to ride their bikes. Or I think all three of our kids learned how to ride bikes at a campground. (laughs) And then you can say, okay, you can go to the camp store, right? By yourself for the first time when they're however old and they learn how to like have money in their pocket and go to the camp store. And I think a lot of those, you know, life events were a little easier for us to train and manage because we were in these little pockets of community that a campground is.
1: All right, so one last question about the RVs before we move on. So you mentioned uh, cost for anyone one, about the same price you'd pay for a fly-in hotel. So we're looking at $2,000, $3,000?
2: Yeah, so usually I would say the kind that I mentioned, like the motor home would be two something, 200 something a night. Obviously our prices here in the Northeast may be a little higher. Than some other people's prices, but in the 200 range per gotcha. night. And then you'd have a campground cost, remember. So that's going to vary. If you stay at a public campground, you could have one as low as 20 $30 a night. Or if you stay at a resort or Fort Wilderness in Disney World, you could pay $200 a night. <laughs>
1: And then what's the price? What's the going rate for an RV motorhome or or pop-up camper these days? So like a pop-up
0: camper, brand new, could start at under $10,000. And then like the conventional travel trailers that we're in could be 20 to 30 to 40. The big fifth wheels can be 60, dollars $80,000. And then generally speaking, motorhomes start at about $80,000 and you could go as high as you want. You know, if you're in a customized Prevost or something, you could be spending a million dollars but there's a lot of plus minus in the the 100,000 dollar mark for motorhomes yeah.
1: so it just depends on what you want you get as fancy as you want or simple
0: yeah, and if you get a diesel or a gas engine in a motorhome. So if you get a diesel engine, then you're looking more at over two hundred thousand dollars. If you're staying in a gas engine, it's going to be typically less than two hundred thousand dollars. The RV industry has done a great job at having like a really wide variety of price points and floor plans, and it it's there's way more to choose from than when you're like buying a truck, right? When I go to buy a truck, there's the three or four major brands. There's not there's not many options for like floor plans, people get really actually flustered and confused RV shopping because there's so many options, which is, so it's kind of like a positive and a negative.
1: And then I imagine, I think you did the cost breakdown on the book. Once you make the investment and buy an RV, like your cost of vacation start plummeting.
2: Yeah, uh, for sure. And you can do, you can control your costs, right? I could splurge on every RV vacation. But you can also eat in. I mean, the the biggest cost when we go away with that RV is food. Like eating out all of those meals with three kids adds up. And my two older boys eat like adults. So our sticker shock at restaurant bills is really high. And at in the RV, you know, we'll have breakfast, lunch, and dinner some days all at the RV. Even in Disney World, we'll do breakfast and dinner at the RV and maybe have lunch in a park or something. I mean, you can just save so much money on that food price. point.
0: Eating out when we're staying in a hotel could easily be $300 a day with our RV and our own kitchen. It could be $300 a
2: week. Same as our food bill at home. Really?
1: We're going to take a quick break for your words from our sponsors. Wedding season is coming up. And if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the United States? You can grow lemon, avocado, olive, or fig trees inside your home on top of the wide variety of houseplants available. Criteria that I was looking for turns bright red. It's a maple tree that turns bright red in the fall. So, if you want to try fast growing trees, right now they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when they use code manliness at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using code manliness at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code manliness, offers valid for a limited time, terms and conditions may apply. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And now back to the show. All right, so a lot of people are going to take an RV, but a lot of people are just going to go on a road trip just in their cars. You guys have been doing this for for years. What are the biggest mistakes you've made or you see people make when planning and executing a road trip?
2: So I really think that these days you have to plan ahead. I know everybody loves the idea of like jumping in the car let's see how far we go before we need to stop. I've found that that actually only causes stress. (laughs) Every time we want to be casual about our plans, it really causes stress as opposed to like feeling free and, you know, adventurous. So I do recommend really knowing where you're going to stop for the night.
0: And there's freedom in the discipline. Like Stephanie's a very disciplined trip planner. And then that opens up a lot of time on the trip and a lot of freedom on the trip because we're not worried about getting this reservation or getting tickets for that or renting kayaks here. You know, We do all of that ahead of the time, even though it might not sound as fun to do it that way, but we, we plan a trip you know, from top to bottom. And well, yeah, spaces I there. mean,
2: I learned early on, like, oh, you think, oh, let's just see how it goes. And then the one day that you're in this town is the day that is the Monday when they don't do the rafting tours that you wanted to go on, you know, and you didn't know that ahead of time. Or you find out that just a lot of things get booked up in advance. Some of the most magical experiences we've had, like I'm remembering going out on that chuck wagon ride in, in the bad, Dakota. you know, in South Dakota and just having this amazing night of like having this steak dinner out in the middle of... the Black Hills. And those are things that sell out. And and you just have to plan ahead if you want to have some of these amazing experiences. I think
0: another mistake people are going to make this summer is is heading to the most popular Mm -hmm. places. I'm all about going to Yellowstone. I'm all about going to Yosemite, uh, Acadia National Park. But if you're going to go to Acadia National Park on a summer weekend and you plan on doing the Park Loop Road, it's probably not going to be fun. You're probably not going to be able to park, you know. This summer, with the number of people road tripping, this might be the summer to do like the Beartooth Mountains in Idaho instead of Yellowstone. This might be the summer to do North Cascades in Washington instead of Olympic. It really could be the summer to find some things that are off the beaten track a little bit,
2: and not just off the beaten track, but off of peak hours. So another mistake that people make, and we see it all the time, as you know, travel writers who and people tell you about their experiences, places. The difference between experiencing an amazing location at eight o'clock in the morning when you're the only you know people there are one of the handful, and at one. PM in the afternoon when the tour buses have arrived and everybody's like flooding a place, it's just night and day. There's no comparison between the the same place. We've been in these places at at these different times. And it's like, wow, you just really have a hard time enjoying with the crowds. I know that's the case. So I think Places like Mount Rushmore, right? Like you hear people talk about Mount Rushmore, like, oh my gosh, we went on the 4th of July, you couldn't breathe. You know, there were people everywhere. And so we really encourage people to find those off peak times, whether it's we've always gone to popular places early in the morning. Some people go later in the day. Also, go during the week as much as possible instead of the weekend. Like, really try to take yourself to places outside of peak hours.
1: Gotcha. All right. So, biggest mistakes, Kate. First off, you want to plan. Don't try to do the I'm going to fling it, road trip. And then don't go to popular places you're not going to have a good time and then try to plan your things off of peak hours.
2: Can I Um, say one more?
1: Yeah, go (laughs) for it. Because
2: I'm a mom. I'm going to tell you never be without food and drinks. (laughs) That's a good one. I think if everybody gets cranky when they're like, thirsty and when they're hungry and so we really always have food and beverages coolers in the back with some cold drinks jeremy's like the king of the cold drink cooler and it just everybody can get a break have a snack and have a refreshing drink when they need it and that makes a difference well
1: speaking of do you all what's your philosophy towards road troop snacks do you buy them all before you leave or do you buy stuff along the way at the the gas stations you see along the freeway Yes, and yes, <laughs> our kids devour.
0: I mean, we pack a lot of
1: snacks because it's obviously cheaper to buy like
0: a box of cliff bars than to buy one at the rest stop every single time. But no matter how much Stephanie does pack in terms of snacks and drinks, we do seem to plow through them and then end up like refueling along the way at the Pilot Flying J or whatever it is.
2: My kids are suckers for the snack aisle in a gas station. So we kind of do a balance, right? We always make sure we have like healthier food. Like I love those single serving hummus with like crackers or things like that that are like, okay guys, we can take a break from the slushy machine, you know, at the gas station. But then at the same time, Time, you feel like it's kind of part of the experience. Like they, they get excited for those rest stops. And so you can't completely take away the joy of a 12 year old boy wandering, you know, the pilot. Yeah. We just drove five hours (laughs) of a yogurt.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So Uh, we try to
2: balance it. I mean, I feel like that's the case with everything on a road trip. If it gets too much, right. If we are eating out every meal, your kids start to get pretty cranky and miserable and you do too. And then if you're not eating out at all, you're missing out on like the joy of a food culture in a place and experiencing that. So, it sounds so corny, but it really is about balance. And that balance is going to change every single road trip that you go on.
1: All right. So pre-pack some snacks, but also make room for the Funyuns at the uh, the Loves Country Store
2: <laughs> Combos, if you're our Com- kids. Oh, combos. yeah. The combo.
1: Yeah. My kids love the <laughs> combos too. So uh, let's talk about this. What do you think is the right length for a road trip?
0: So in terms of how far you drive or in terms of like how many days you go away? Uh, Ooh, that's like both. So we, we drove to Mount Rushmore to South Dakota and on the way out, we broke up the trip and and stayed like in Indiana and and it was totally great. It was totally fine. We had an amazing trip in South Dakota. It was one of our best family trips ever. We were out there for two weeks, but then we drove straight home. Uh, We stayed 20 hours
2: maybe. And it was
0: just like, three 10-hour days of driving in a row, and we were all miserable. Mm -hmm. Like, that just did not work for our family. So in retrospect, I wish we had stopped a little more, had a day off, done something, you know, done the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland or something on the way home to break that up. So multiple days of driving in a row is definitely too much for us.
2: Everybody's going to have a different tolerance. I found after a decade with the boys, and we have gone all over the country, My rule over the last few years that I, you know, try to stay firm on with Jeremy, but sometimes I give in is that if I have to drive more than one full day, right? Like more than a 12 hour day plus some, we're flying. (laughs) So we used to do a lot more longer, but I was like, you know what? If it's more than that and we're just going to be blowing through from point A to point B and we're not going to be stopping, you know, and enjoying the sights, then let's fly. And then oftentimes we rent a car and do a nice road trip loop. Like we did, we did this in the Pacific Northwest. We flew into Seattle. We did an amazing road trip all the way down to the Redwoods and back up on a loop. We hit so many amazing places. And that was a better way to do that as opposed to driving across country, which would have been miserable. And
0: that's tied into us having three younger kids, right? If we were retired, you just you take your time getting wherever you're going. But we often have a 10-day window before there's the next soccer tryout or before school's back in session or whatever. So we will definitely travel differently when the kids are out of the picture. Yeah. Sure. And
2: I think that now I just go, you know what? 10 hours, our boys can actually get through 10 hours, no problem. Longer than that, I'm going to tap out.
1: <laughs> so, okay. So it sounds like here, when you're planning a road trip, if you're trying to, if you're just trying to get to a destination that's far away because you want to do something there, your best bet, fly there. Uh, but if you, if you have time and you you need to get that destination, but you have time to get there to make stops throughout the, like road tripping is okay.
2: Yeah. And I think do a loop, right? This is something that we've learned. Like if you're just doing the same route there and back, you lose the magic of that road trip, right? But if you can plan a loop, like we did out in South Dakota, our trip out to South Dakota or out in the Pacific Northwest where we went Out, you know, in a, in a big circle, basically through Washington, Oregon and California. So every stop along the way is different and fun.
0: Well, we had 28 days to go to the Pacific Northwest. (laughs) So we chose to fly and there was two days of flying and 26 days in the Pacific Northwest. If we had towed our RV during those, you know, 26 days or whatever, uh, half of it would have been driving. Getting there So, now. you know, flying and driving is perfectly fine too. You know, you can maximize your time out of place if it's far away.
1: Gotcha. All right, so what's your, do you guys have like a, a limit? So 10 hours a day is probably your limit on what you're willing to drive? It
2: gets done Yeah, after that. And we, we just did. What did we just do, 17 hours? We
0: drove straight back from Florida to New Jersey. But 17 we had
2: hours, but it was, we had to, and we did it. And the thing is, is we talked to, before about like training our kids. Honestly, like our kids are so well-trained <laughs> that we did it. We were just miserable because we just kept swapping. Well, and let's be honest, to too, the
0: devices helped on that type of Oh, drive. yeah, you know, yeah. Not, we're not playing roadside
2: bingo the whole time. Right, it's not 12 <laughs> hours of the license plate game. The kids are staring at their phones, blessedly.
1: Well, I want to talk more about that screen time on road trips. But before do, have you guys done the thing where, I know there are some families that I know that do this, where they'll leave at like nine o'clock at night so the kids sleep and then they, they, they drive during the night. Have you guys done that thing? that, that <laughs> we tried. Just about every time.
2: Oh, we okay. tried. Yeah,
0: that, that can work really, really well. And like for us, we're in New Jersey and we road trip a lot up into New England. We go to Kit Cod a lot. And by doing that, you miss all the morning traffic around New York City or around D.C. You know, that allows us to go north or south and get past some major metropolitan areas. And our kids actually love that. They actually, they for, for whatever reason, drive. they yeah. love packing up the car, getting in at nine o'clock at night and knowing they get to conk out while well, we do all the hard work, basically.
2: Yeah. And, and the only issue for parents to consider with that is, will your kids actually sleep when our older two were little and we tried it a couple of times, it was not successful because they didn't sleep through the night like they were supposed to. But now that they're older, they'll just pass out in the car again once we get in. So will your kids sleep? And do you have the stamina to get through the next day (laughs) after driving all night, right? And your kids are ready for vacation because they're well-rested and are you, right? So it's just going to be different for everybody, whether that works, but it's a great strategy if you've got you know the stamina to do it.
1: All right. So you mentioned screens and your kids, like what's your guys' take on uh, keeping kids entertained on a road trip?
2: Well, my most important take is that it's n- not my business, what anybody else does with screens and their kids. So I just want to, so we'll share what we've well, yeah, done, we'll share what and you've what, done, you know, our struggle, but I think it's one of those areas that people get so super judgy about. And it just drives me crazy because we all have, you know, our own kids and they're so different. And also, I feel like it's unfair. I wrote about this in our book a little bit. Like we're the first generation of parent that had to navigate this, right? Like when we were young, our parents, there weren't screens to bring on vacation with us. So they didn't have to worry about it. It wasn't an option. Now it's so much work to manage screen time. And there's going to be certain parents that just don't want to work more on vacation and manage screen time. So I understand that. And I just want to give a high five to every parent out there that has to spend so much of their life dealing with this issue because it can be exhausting
0: but we're liberal with it like in the car on the trip there right but when we're in a location you know when we're at glacier national park for 12 days we really cut it down to to close to nothing you know but then again like when we were at glacier we did a 12 mile round trip hike out to a glacier all our kids did that hike it was a nine hour hike if they wanted to go home and watch a movie that night, like we are totally cool with that. That's okay. We don't want to do anything. You earned it, you know?
2: I can say that I was really strict with screens when they were younger. So now that they're older, they have their devices in the car, but when they were little, they didn't. And I really wanted them to learn how to stare out the window. And I really wanted my kids to learn how to be bored and just kind of like let their imaginations roam. And I and I'm glad I made that choice that I just wasn't, we never had a DVD player, like, you know, a car with a, with the DVD players in the back of the seats or whatever. And we never bought a car with that because I was just like, I don't want that to be the default when we get in a car. I want kids to look out the window. It was always really important to me. That
0: useful boredom, you know, that autobiographical planning, that daydreaming, you know. So look, we've definitely had our struggles with that along the way, Um, just like any other family. There's no magical answer to it. We were camping just last weekend and the boys asked if they could watch a movie in the RV Saturday night. And I got totally annoyed at them. I was like, it's beautiful out. It's our first real trip of the season. You know, go outside, be kids. You're you're not watching a movie, right?
2: But then other times it's like, yeah, it's cozy. Go in the RV and watch a movie. And I think... I'm, I'm glad that we were strict at the time because I think I put a schedule in the book too that we used to follow where like I would do everything in units. Like, okay, we'd have snack time and then maybe we'd have some game time and then maybe we'd have some audio book. Our boys loved audio books for years and we'd listen to audio books on the way to any destination. A lot of the time I try to like link it to where we were going. For example, I always remember listening to the I survived. Mount St. Helens novel on our way to Mount St. Helens, right? Like things like that were really fun. So uh not having screens forced us to come up with things we liked together, right? Everybody had their own serious XM channel that you know it'd be like, Okay, it's your turn, which channel do you want? And our boys would pick Elvis or, you know, the the Beatles channel, and they would get four songs on each channel. So we did spend years and years being super creative with our kids in that time. And now, you know, what they're a little bit older, fine. Be on your phone while we're driving.
1: Yeah. Our philosophy, so my kids, they're 10 and seven. Our philosophy on road trips is you get two hours, no screens, one hour with screen.
2: That yeah. Seems, that and that's seems what we work. really did for years. Like we did those blocks of time yeah. and then, okay, now here's my phone and you can watch a show and it, it, and it worked well.
1: Do you guys do like license plate games? Pinch bug, slug bug.
0: Yeah, well, you, you, Stephanie I has all these card like games and these National Park trivia games. These yeah. are like very compact games that were actually in the RV in the cabinet right now, right by where I am. The
2: three-second rule is a really fun one for the car, right? Because like they, you you give them a topic and they have to name a certain amount of things. And it's just anything with just cards, right, is very fun for the car ride. And they really enjoy those things too. Something I recommend is keeping separate things that you only enjoy when you're in your RV or you're on a road trip because they become special and they look forward to that. We
0: kept that National Park trivia in the glove compartment of the truck. So Mm -hmm. if they got no G, pull that out, that came out and we played.
1: Do you guys split up driving?
0: On a road trip, uh, absolutely. Yeah. I tow the RV, but if it's just a road trip, we totally split it up. But when it's towing the RV, I do I do the towing.
2: Yeah i I used to, and then we got Jeremy wanted a certain size RV, and I tapped out of the towing at that point. I'm just super. It makes me really anxious and stressed. Um, I believe I can, so I don't. You know, like. I believe women can do everything right. Fine. But I'm not I'm also a
0: horrible navigator. So like when she was towing and I was in charge of navigation, it did not really go well. (laughs) So it just was a better matchup for
1: me towing.
2: And and you're bad at managing like the snack snack stand that the boys require.
1: (laughs) And what do you all do to keep yourselves entertained? Or do you just like to zone out and just watch the road?
2: No, we love podcast. We listen to podcasts. Oh, yeah. yeah. we're, we're
0: podcasters and we love listening to podcasts. So we we devour podcasts on the road. And
2: music. Yeah. But I can't listen to audiobooks when Jeremy's driving because he says they put him to sleep. <laughs> I don't know why, they put me to sleep. Yeah. put to
1: sleep. Uh, thinking of the, like, I, I think there's a new podcast series out or there's something where they've hired, some companies hired like celebrities and you can do a road trip and like you'll have like Kevin Costner, like, Telling you about the history of where you're at, like it's like real time because it uses GPS and it can tell where you're at, and you basically have Kevin Costner telling you about the Buffalo. Here, have you heard about? It? I don't. I can't. I'm man. You're, you're ringing
2: a bell because I think that somebody in my work it mentioned this to me, but I haven't actually dug we'll in the, and check this out. Okay,
1: I'm gonna dig in and like find it. We'll link to it in the show. Yeah. I, I remember I thought that, was, <laughs> that sounded kind of cool. I'd want Kevin Costner telling me about dances with wolves or something. All right. So speaking of planning your road trips, um, going back to this, do you, when you plan a road trip, you know, you, there's, you, you have things you want to do in advance. Like you want to do the chuck wagon dinner in the middle of you know nowhere, South Dakota, but do you also kind of set schedule time to do stuff like off the beaten path? Like do you, so you can like visit the thing or like the world's largest rocking chair if it somehow shows up on your, your road trip?
0: Well, South Dakota is a great example of doing that because in in one sense, you could look at the ride out to the Badlands and Mount Rushmore as being boring, if you didn't know that there were all these bizarre roadside attractions. The Corn Palace. The Corn Palace. (laughs) And then there was that outdoor sculpture garden, I'm forgetting the name of it. It was just so quirky and bizarre and weird, and it's near Mitchell, South Dakota. And
2: we did not plan on stopping, and these sculptures were just rising out of nowhere. We were like, oh, we have to, and we had to actually get off on a dirt road to get there, and we were
1: like,
2: are we getting lost here? And it was so much fun. It was like
0: a trip highlight, you know, so we absolutely really do like to build in that stuff. And again, sometimes we are in a rush to get to vacation because we have kids and a limited time. And when we are older and retired, we'll take even more time for that. But I think that is a huge part of the joy of, of RVing and road tripping in general is to to allow yourself to just take that left turn and find something you weren't planning on finding.
1: And I'm sure you guys have written you've written guides about this, but do you think the guides, like road trip guides are useful to kind of give you an itinerary so you don't have to think too much about it?
2: I love guides that offer you a framework, right? For like suggestions and then you can curate it according to your own personal preferences. I don't, I think people that know themselves have great traveling experiences and people that don't know themselves End up unhappy, right? Because what they did is they took a guide from maybe some like, (laughs) like outside online cliff, you know, cliff climbing adventure, and they were like, I'm gonna do this. And they don't have it, you know. That's not their wheelhouse, maybe, or that's not really. They're not actually going to be happy staying at a glamping tent where they have to go to a bathhouse in the middle of the night to use the bathroom. Like you have to know, is this going to make me happy or miserable?
0: Well, I used to all the time buy hiking guides, and um, you know, it would say like, "Oh, it's a moderate hike, great Ugh. for kids," and we would go do this hike that <laughs> was like horribly difficult. And eventually, I had a baby Stephanie on was my like, back.
2: Stop <laughs> using
0: those hiking books, and and now we just ask a park
2: ranger well i also love um all trails all trails thank you i was like yeah. all st- I, was, I kept the, i was about to say all stays
1: yeah i, I like all trails a lot. we've used that a lot when we've gone on trips so uh, your guys are your big proponents of staying at camping grounds instead of staying at a hotel or motel when you're on a road trip what are the benefits of camping while on a road trip
0: it's it's less expensive you're definitely in nature more. You know, you're stepping out of your tent or your cabin or your RV and you are outside, right? So it does force you to be outside a lot more than a hotel. And for us with little kids, they step out of the RV and they can be kids. They can run around. They can make some noise. They can start throwing the football around. In a hotel, if they step out into the hallway, you know, our kids do run around in the hallway, but it's it's it, they're not supposed to, right? I mean, stepping outside is a big part of it. Getting out into nature is part of it.
2: I think kids... Travel can be very challenging for kids and that's okay, right? Like, and they need to decompress oftentimes at the end of a day of structured, like tourism, if that's what you're doing, right? And even a hike. Yes, they're being active on it, but they're also being deliberately guided in a certain direction and a certain activity. And our boys have Always needed that like free outdoor decompression time at the end of a day of travel. It's been such a blessing to us to discover that way of, you know, staying, that type of accommodation because they can ride their bikes, they go to the playground, they go to the basketball hoop, and it just, just allows everybody to relax and chill out, even though, you know, we had a very active, fun, adventuring day
0: and they are almost like little communities each of these campgrounds a lot of people say it's almost like what the american downtown was it's like your, your neighbors are friendly your, your kids can roam around a little bit we always feel very safe at campgrounds so it gives them a, a sense of community at a campground that maybe our neighborhoods aren't totally providing right now
1: when you guys choose campgrounds are you looking for certain amenities So we like, we like both state parks
0: and national parks with limited amenities, and we love the RV resorts. And it's kind of part part of our business is to see all of them. So what we've loved to do over the years is like, we'll do a two-stop trip and we'll go to like the national park campground first. Like we did like the Platte River Campground in Sleeping Bear Dunes. And there's really no amenities there and there's no hookups. It's more simple. It's a more back to nature experience. So we'll do something like that for five days and then we'll go to like the off the hook RV resort and sort of like reward the boys and like, okay, there's a pool here, there's a playground, there's food on site. And then we can dump our tanks there as well. So we actually love doing both and often do both in the same trip.
1: Can you tell us about the world of private campgrounds? Because I think when most people think of car camping, they're thinking of state or national parks. That's what I've done, but in my experience, I think other people experience too. And I think it's this is the it's really bad right now, particularly the national parks. Is finding a camping spot can be impossible. Sometimes you got like schedule a year in advance. What, what's with private campgrounds? What are those
0: like? So private campgrounds really are a great option for this year, and you're a thousand percent right that like the most popular national park campgrounds are booked solid. Like you're not getting a site inside Yosemite National Park this summer, unless you just get crazy, crazy lucky. So then the private campgrounds are going to offer an alternative. A lot of times there are great private campgrounds outside of the national parks, 15 minutes outside, 30 minutes outside. They're going to cost more. They're going to have more amenities, particularly for RVers. The sites are oftentimes going to be smaller and less private because oftentimes they are more built for our bears. So a lot of times tent campers don't necessarily love those types of campgrounds, but they do provide a a really great option. Like if you can't get into that national park you're dreaming about, I would totally tell people like try a KOA campground, like around Great Smoky Mountains National Park. If you want to be in the park right now, it's going to be difficult to get a site. But there's five or six KOAs surrounding the camp, you know, around the national park, and they are definitely going to have more availability. You know, they're not necessarily as stunning or as beautiful, and they are going to cost more, but um, a, a great way to go if you can't get that dream site inside a national park.
1: Yeah, I was looking up about uh KOA cuz I remember when I was a kid road tripping, you know, going down I-40 and you'd see like KOA and like they had like the Family Circus kids, for, I guess they were yeah. like the spokespeople. Are they still the spokespeople for No, but that KO- like, but
0: that relation that was like for decades. Yeah. Right. That was for, they did the um the KOA catalog covers. I always had that on the cover.
1: Yeah, the family, started. and I was like, I was like, I didn't know anything about that. And so I looked up KOA, like, what is this camp? I was like, I was impressed. They had pictures like, this actually looks really nice. I always, I always look kind of chintzy the way they advertised on billboards, but I wasn't, I was they had like showers and, you know, they had like campfires. It, it looked pretty nice.
0: Well, they guarantee certain things too. So there's always going to be laundry facilities there. There's always a dog park at a KOA. So they are reliable and it's more standardized. And there's, there's like 500 of them in the country. And some are just like kind of right off the interstate and nothing spectacular. But then there are others that are incredibly beautiful. Like in, in Cape Hatteras, there's a KOA right on the beach in Cape Hatteras. You can be camping right next to the ocean, you know, just walk over the dunes and you're, and you're right at the beach. So there's a wide variety of types of campgrounds in like the KOA system.
1: So okay, benefits, pros of private campgrounds. You have some lot, a lot of nice amenities, but it's going to be price What's like, what's the going rate for like a night at a KOA?
0: Probably sixty to a hundred dollars, depending on the oh, region wow. of the country you're in. Yeah, I mean, you definitely, could, and if you're tent camping, maybe you could get something for forty or fifty. If you want the RV site with water, electric, and sewer, you're definitely looking sixty and up. Campground prices are kind of shocking people at private campgrounds. Because a lot of private campgrounds have moved to the, like, what do they call it, dynamic pricing, which is really based on supply and demand. and More with, like hotels like, have always been. Like and yeah. because, yeah. I mean, there has been this massive influx of millions of new campers, they just are able to to charge
1: more. Were you all ever stayed in a, like a motel while on a road trip? Like a roadside, like an old... <laughs>
0: we're going to Yellowstone this yeah. summer and uh, we're staying at all campgrounds. We're flying in. And then we're staying at all campgrounds. And then the last two nights, we're in a hotel in Jackson Jacksonville, Hole. yeah. Because we just wanted to like have a pool. And we wanted to be right downtown. Like we wanted to be able to kind of roll out of bed and, and walk around. So we we do.
2: We tend to prefer Airbnbs. I feel like when we travel without our camper, just because we are so used to having our own kitchen and bathroom and it just works better for us. But our boys are such little travelers and they love a hotel experience they just love the discovery they love going to a place and saying what's our accommodation yeah, be they also like? love leaving
0: their airpods at the hotel room and yeah. a weird thing i discovered if you leave your airpods in the rv no problem you know if you leave them in a hotel room they're gone so there's just all these little differences that, that <laughs> jump out at me when we stay in a hotel and like i always come back to wanting to be in the rv uh, and i'm out of everyone in the family i'm probably the most dedicated to it
2: oh yeah max told me the other day he said mom I kind of miss airports. Isn't that weird? He just said that to me. And He goes, you know, just getting there and going and getting a Jamba juice. <laughs> and I was, I just realized to him, you know, it's a whole story, right? Like every type of travel has its whole thing that goes along with it. And those are just like different types of memories that they're making. And I just, so I love it all. I really do.
1: And I, one last question. I mean, so how can, what would be your recommendation for someone who wants to start road tripping? Like, how do to get started like should they just start with like a weekend road trip? Should they go like plan a big one?
2: no, don't be over ambitious okay. <laughs> that's my biggest recommendation right is you know, first of all, have a great destination for sure. I think too many people, I always say like people like, oh, well, how do you hike with kids? Well, first of all, don't take them to a path in the woods and call it a hike, right? Of course, they're going to be bored. It's a walk in the woods, you know, and they're kids, like take them to an amazing waterfall or something that really sparks their curiosity. And the same thing goes with a road trip. Like, have a destination that's exciting and fun and it's a good payoff and yeah and
0: you got to take if you're doing it with kids you do have to consider their interests and hobbies too like my next thing which all well, my boys don't know about yet i'm going to surprise them with this is i'm going to do a boys trip to boston and do a red sox game because we're red sox fans but because we want to see fenway so you know you have to consider what everybody likes on the trip
1: well hey stephanie and jeremy where can people go to learn more about your work So it's the RV Atlas everywhere. It's the RV Atlas
0: podcast. It's the RV Atlas.com. It's the RV Atlas on Instagram. And then the two most recent books are Where Should We Camp Next, which is a 50 state guide to the best campgrounds in the country. And uh, as you mentioned before, CEO at the campground. And you can get those at bookstores anywhere.
1: Fantastic. Well, Stephanie, Jeremy, thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure.
2: Oh, thanks so much for having us. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Brett. My guests today were Jeremy and Stephanie Puglisi. They're the author of several books on road tripping and camping. Latest is See You at the Campground. It's available on Amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. You can find out more information about their work at their website, theRVAtlas.com, where you can also check out their podcast. There, also check out our show notes at AOM.is/slash Road Trip, where you find links to resources where you delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the A1 Podcast. Check out our website at artofmanliness.com where you can find our podcast archives as well as thousands of articles written over the years about pretty much anything you can think of. And if you'd like to enjoy ad-free episodes of the A1 Podcast, you can do so on Stitcher Premium. Head over to stitcherpremium.com, sign up, use code MANLINESS at checkout for a free month trial. Once you're signed up, download the Stitcher app on Android or iOS, and you can start enjoying ad-free episodes of the A1 Podcast. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate it if you take one minute to us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. It helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing sharing the show with a friend or family member who you think we get something out of it as always thank you for the continued support until next time is brett mckay reminding you to not only listen to the a1 podcast but put what you've heard into action when you visit a state as big and diverse as texas there are a million different trips you can take